maybe we'll make it through here. Okay, we're going to continue our series called Wisdom for the Home, studying the book of Proverbs. Today, the title of our lesson is The Three Pillars of the Home. And um, this has been a pretty interesting study because all through the book of Proverbs, these three words come up. And these three words are used, at least in the Hebrew language in the Old Testament, they are used primarily in the book of Proverbs, even though they're used in other places. They're primarily used in the book of Proverbs. So we're going to do a couple of things today. We're going to talk about these three things, uh, spend a few minutes defining what they really are, and then we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about how to build these things in our own individual lives and then ultimately in our homes, if they are the pillars of the home. Now, before we read the scripture, how many of you remember the story of Samson after Delilah betrayed him and they, they, the Philistines captured him, they poked his eyes out, they took him to uh, the Philistine temple. Man, you're good. <laughs> they took him to the Philistine temple and um, he, he was there while they were partying. And remember, there was a young man that was in charge of him, and he asked the young man to take him and place his hands on the two pillars of the temple. The reason was, and you know the end of the story, he asked God one more time for strength. He pushed on those two pillars, crushing them and causing the whole temple to fall. And the Bible says that he killed more Philistines in his death than he did in the whole rest of his life combined. Now, the reason I, I tell you that story is because of the pillars that he destroyed. Those two pillars of concrete were literally the foundation for that whole temple. You remove them, the whole thing is destroyed, and everybody in it. Well, the principle holds true for our homes. If we don't have these three things as a part of our homes, if you remove them from the home, the whole thing gets destroyed and everybody in it. So these three things are probably, of all the things we've talked about, the most important things you and I can put into our home. Now, if we put it into our home, where do we have to put it first? Into each of our lives. Because our, the home is made up of us as individuals. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about these three things. What are they? How do we get them into our life? Okay? Proverbs 24, look at verse number 3. The Bible says, by wisdom, there's the first one, a house is built, and through understanding, there's the second one, it is established. Through knowledge, there's the third one, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. You know, when I first started studying this, whenever I study the Bible, I, I, because I'm, my master's degree is in Bible exposition, what that means is you literally take the Bible verse by verse in its context, and for those of us that are fanatical about it, we literally break down every word to know what is it God is saying. If, if the Bible is verbally inspired, plenarily inspired, which means every word, was inspired by God, then they all become very, very important. And it becomes important to understand what they really mean. So as I began to do this, I looked at a, a word in this passage that really never caught my eye. You know, a lot of times we read the Bible and we just read over things because we hear them all the time. 
and we don't really pay attention to it. Well, when I got down to verse number 4, the Bible says, Through knowledge its rooms, the home's rooms, are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. A word jumped out at me that I never really saw before, and it was the word rare. Meaning that homes built like this are rare. If you take a look at our world today and society and the philosophy of the world, and if you didn't have a Bible, you had no idea what God said about how to build a home, all you did was listen to what you saw on TV and read in magazines, what would it tell us about how to build a home? Well, it would say, among other things, number one, a good home means that you get your physical desire satisfied anytime and any way that you can possibly find out a way to do it. Second of all, it would say that the institution of marriage is not that important. Why take a chance on having to go through all those legal hassles? Why not just live together for a while? Then if you get to the point where you don't like each other, just separate. No legal hassles, no lawyer's fees, no worries about dividing up the estate. Just separate. Love each other? Are you kidding me? Love is defined as two naked bodies in a bed. I do what I want to do. She does what she wants to do. I have my career. She has her career. We go two separate ways. And then we come together at night to have a little fun. And tomorrow morning we go live our separate lives. If you listen to the world, among other things, that's what they're going to tell you. That's what they're going to say is a normal home. How many of you have talked to young adults today and you have found a young adult in their 20s somewhere that says, pardon my frankness, I have never had sex. And if you find one that says that, what is the reaction of everybody around them normally? Are you kidding? Is something wrong with you? Are you gay? Are you lesbian? You mean you've never had sex? What is wrong with you? That is the world's philosophy. That's why God says these kinds of homes with these kinds of treasures are rare. Very rare. Now, how do we get it then? If it's rare and everybody ain't doing it, well, what is it that God says we're supposed to do? Well, first of all, let's look at these three pillars, these three words, and let's go through a, just a very simple definition. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Exodus chapter 35. In Exodus chapter 35, these three words are used in reference to a couple of men that God used in the life of the Israelites to help build the tabernacle in the wilderness with Moses. So I, I, I saw this and I thought, well, you know, this is a good way for us to get a, a practical idea of what these words mean. So it's Exodus chapter 35. We'll start in verse number 30. Before we do, let me just go ahead and read you the definition of these three words. First of all, wisdom. It's the Hebrew word that can also be translated skill, experience, or the application of knowledge. And we've talked about that a little bit. Number two, the word understanding. It can also be translated ability or insight. Number three, knowledge. It can also be translated knowing, learning, or discernment. It brings with it the idea of discretion, which, by the way, is used in Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 11. 
And it's a totally separate Hebrew word, but it comes from knowledge. It literally means with a plan or a purpose in mind, a thought process that is logical. There is a plan and a reason why I'm doing this. That's discretion. Now, discretion is also used in the Bible to describe the purposes of the wicked. So discretion doesn't always mean that the purpose is a good one. You know, that person uses good discretion in their decisions. Well, the key word in that statement is good discretion. There's bad discretion, too, where I make decisions based upon my plan or purpose, and that plan or purpose can be a bad plan or purpose. So that's what discretion is, all right? So with with that in mind, let's look at Exodus chapter 35, verse number 30. The Bible says, then Moses said to the Israelites, now they're getting ready to build the tabernacle. He just talked about the material needed to build it, and they gathered that. Now he's going to talk about the workers that are needed. Then Moses said to the Israelites, see the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Look at verse 31. And he was filled, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God. With skill, that's the word wisdom, ability, that's the word understanding, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts. So literally, the Bible says here that this man, who is about, he and and another guy, are about to become the general contractors. They're going to be the master designers and overseers of this work. The Bible tells us four things about this guy. First of all, it tells us the three skills he has. He has wisdom, he has knowledge, and he has understanding. The three things we talked about. And they are translated in the NIV with some of those other words that we use. Skill and ability, and then, of course, knowledge. But then there's something very important here, and this is the key, as you're going to see in a minute, to how we build these in our lives. Where do these things come from? Real wisdom, real understanding, and real knowledge, where does it come from? Well, if you'll notice in verse 31, the very first statement about this guy, he was filled with the Spirit of God. True wisdom and true understanding and true knowledge only comes from God. Now, the world has its own wisdom. As a matter of fact, Paul said... God has made foolish, in the book of Romans, the wisdom of this world. So the world has its own wisdom. It has its own idea of how life should be lived. And it propagates it. Who is the God of this world? Satan is. He is the master philosopher who gives to the world its philosophy. And what is his ultimate purpose? Jesus told Peter to kill, to steal, and to destroy our lives, to sift us like wheat. He wants to devour us like a roaring lion. So that's his ultimate purpose. So everything he propagates in the world is his philosophy. That's what he intends to do to us. So obviously, if God's wisdom brings, according to the book of Proverbs, these rare and wonderful treasures in our life, Satan's philosophy or wisdom is to destroy our life. What normal human being would choose Satan's philosophy over God's? Nobody would. I mean, who would say, I want to live my life so at the end it is torn apart and destroyed? 
Well, we wouldn't do that, would we? So how does Satan get to so many people? He hides them so they don't understand that. Okay? So that's why the Scripture is so important. All right, so the Bible says these guys have... Now, I want you to notice something. These guys had wisdom and understanding and knowledge in other skills that God used for His work. I want you to turn over with me. Um, look at verse 34. And He has given both him and Aholiab... Uh, and by the way, this was the other guy who had the same characteristics. Verse 35, He has filled them with the skill to do all kinds of work as craftsmen, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, scarlet, yarn, fine linen, weavers, all of them master craftsmen. So, um, Bezalel and Oliab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability, once again, God reminds us it comes from Him, He's given them skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary. They are, now I want you to look at the last phrase of chapter 36 and verse number 1. Because this is the ultimate purpose for which we need wisdom and understanding and knowledge. To do the work just as the Lord has commanded. So, why do we need wisdom and why do we need understanding and why do we need knowledge? So we can do whatever it is individually that God asks us to do the way the Lord commanded that it be done. So that's our ultimate purpose. So any philosophy that you and I hear from the world that we know has as its goal or purpose something other than what God says it ought to be, you know it's the wrong kind of philosophy. That's the wrong kind of wisdom. Okay? All right. Now, let's go back to the book of Proverbs. And I want you to go to chapter 2 with me. Proverbs chapter 2. So the three pillars are wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And we, you've got a definition of them there. Uh, skill and ability and discernment. Okay? Now how do we get these into our lives? Alright, let's just take a real quick expositional journey through Proverbs chapter 2. And I want to show you what God says about how we get these three things into our life. Number one. We study and we learn God's Word. And number two, we apply the principles of God's Word to our daily life. All right, let's stop there for just a minute. If that's all I said, we have to study and learn God's Word, and then we have to apply God, the principles of God's Word to our life. Most of us would stop right there and say, okay, makes sense. I've heard that only probably a hundred different times over the last two years in this class. If that's what I need to do, great. We can close class and go out. We all know what to do. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that you and I, currently, have all the kind of wisdom and understanding and knowledge that God wants us to have, and are our homes firmly grounded on these three things, and are we doing great? Or... Do you still have problems in your relationships, in your home, like we do? We all still do, don't we? Here's the danger as Christians who constantly study the Bible. And I think, for the most part, all of us probably do. I know we at least do once a week because we all come here. The, the danger is that it becomes mundane. That we read over things. Like I told you earlier, I did. We have a tendency to just read over things real fast 
and not think about it. So, how do I have wisdom? Well, I need to study God's Word. I don't think anybody would argue that. I need to apply what I learned in my life. I don't think anybody would argue that. Well, why is it that we don't always do that? So what I want to do is I want to take these two very common and simple principles, and let's look at Proverbs chapter 2 at some things that God says about these two things that maybe will help us be a little more effective at it. Okay? So first of all, study and learn God's Word. That's how we build wisdom and understanding and knowledge into our life. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, that's telling us that where all this comes from is God's words and God's commands. So it's pretty obvious God says, this is where it comes from, my word. But notice what he says, if you accept my words. There are three things under here that are going to help us to learn God's word. Number one, it begins with my desire. I've got to want to learn it. I've got to accept it. Verse 1, he says, if you accept my words, store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and you search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you'll find the knowledge of God. What is he saying here? I've got to want this real bad. I gotta want this. Notice all the phrases in here that refer to my personal responsibility. If you accept my commands, if you store up my commands, if you turn your ear, if you apply your heart, if you call out, if you cry aloud, if you look for it, if you search for it, all of those have to do with my personal responsibility. There's nowhere in any of that that God says, I'm going to make you. So let's stop and just be real honest with ourselves. How do I get wisdom and understanding and knowledge into my life as the pillar or the very foundation of my own life and my family's life? How do I do that? Well, first of all, I've got to study God's Word. That begins with my desire to do it. Okay, so here's the very pointed and honest question. Stop and think about your life right now. How often and how in-depth do I study God's Word. How often and how in-depth do I study God's Word? Okay, let's be honest. I'm not making anybody tell everybody. Is the only time you ever really open the Bible and study it now? Talk about Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. Or if you're in my class, 9.30. When I get here. Is that the only time we ever really do it? Let me ask you this. What's going to happen to that Bible you hold in your hand once you leave church today? Where does it go? Now, I'm not real good at this. I love to study the Bible. My biggest challenge is I don't have enough time to do it the way I really want to do it. But I love to study the Bible. I have my own challenges during the week with a family and a job. There are a lot of things that Satan will provide for us that take up our time and keep us from being able to do this. I can tell you exactly where my Bible goes as soon as I get home. In my office downstairs behind my uh, desk, I have a credenza. That's where all my study materials are. That's where my Bible goes. Every morning when I get up to have my personal devotion time, and there are some mornings I miss it, 
So I'm not Mr. Spiritual here. There are mornings I miss it. I get busy. I wake up late. I don't have time. I just miss it. When I go downstairs, I go downstairs. I turn around. I pick that Bible up. I turn around to my desk and I pull out the materials I use for my personal devotions or my study time. And I usually spend anywhere from five minutes to an hour and a half, depending on how much time I got and what I'm studying. Sometimes it's only five minutes. It's a short devotional that I read the scripture and I read the devotional and I pray and ask God to apply it to my life. Sometimes that's all it is. But I can honestly tell you the desire of my heart is to every morning get up, go to that place, pick up that book, and spend time in it so I can learn. So stop and think about your own life. How strong is your desire to study this book and learn what it says? That can, first of all, be determined by how much effort we make to spend time in it during the week. Now, I know that's a very simple and a very common concept to have to grasp. But you know why preachers are constantly telling us that? Because it's critical to our Christian life. It's critical. Okay? So, first of all, it begins with my desire. Number two, the foundation is my respect for God. Look at chapter 2. Verse number 5, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. That's where it starts. Now, we've talked about this briefly. Uh, I'll just mention it real quick here. The fear of God is nothing more than a healthy respect for God. It doesn't mean I'm scared of Him. It means I have a respect for Him. I know who He is. I know how holy He is. I know what He expects of me. I know how much He loves me. And as a result of that, I have a holy respect and fear for him. Now, if Jesus sat on the edge of my bed every morning when I woke up and said, Bill, let's go spend five minutes together. How many times do you think I would say, Jesus, I'd love to, but I'm too busy. i got to get to work. Or... You know, if I don't get, if I don't go do this, my wife is going to be very upset with me. So I, I know you're important, but she's more important, and I've really got to get to this. Or you know, my tea time is in 30 minutes. I'm late to everything, Jesus. By the way, could you come along and help me with my tea shots? Now, honestly, a lot of times, isn't that what we do? We don't really have the fear of God or the respect of Him like we would if He were sitting right there in person. However, whenever we need Him, He's the first one we holler to. You see why this is rare? This is not easy, by the way, for anybody. It's not easy for me to do. But it's important. So, how studying God's Word, there's more to it than just knowing I need to study it. It begins, number one, with my desire. The foundation is my respect for God, my view of God. And then number three, it begins when we accept that true wisdom comes only from God, not from the world. If I know I need wisdom to do my job tomorrow, and I know that real wisdom only comes from God, if I had a formula that I knew would make me successful in everything I did tomorrow, and I knew where to get it, do you think I would be a very smart person to go look for it somewhere else if I knew that's where it was? That wouldn't be real smart, would it? 
true wisdom only comes from God. Look at verse number 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Do you know one of the reasons why I am almost fanatical about starting every day, spending at least some time in God's Word and some time in prayer? Because I'm afraid not to. And I'm being honest. I'm afraid not to. I can't afford to face my life every day. It's hard enough as it is. Without knowing that God gave me some instruction and God gave me some direction. And we've already talked. And I know He's going to help me. Now, the true honest answer is, is God going to help me even if I don't talk to Him? Sure He is. He loves me. By spending time with Him and talking to Him, who does that really help? It helps me. It gives me peace in my heart. It helps me to know that wisdom and that understanding and that knowledge is available to me. It helps me. So I'm only hurting myself when I don't do that. So how do I get this wisdom and understanding and knowledge into my life? Well, first of all, I've got to study God's Word. It begins with my desire. Its foundation is the fact that I respect God and who He is. And it's, it's propagated by the fact that I know that true wisdom only comes from God. I can't get it anywhere else. So that's why I go there. Then number two, we apply God's principles to our life every day. This begins in chapter 2 and verse number 7. Let's look at it. He holds the victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk, whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just, and he protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what's right and just and fair, every good path. What does it mean to apply God's principles to my life? Well, first of all, it means I will be protected from self-inflicted problems. If I do what God says, bottom line, Bill Crockett won't make the stupid bonehead decisions that Bill Crockett has a tendency to make. When Bill Crockett does what Bill Crockett thinks, he always makes stupid decisions. Believe me, I know it's true. I've made thousands of them in my life. And every one of them was because I didn't do what God said. I did what I thought I ought to do or what I wanted to do. By the way, is that not the easiest thing to do? Sure it is. It's always going to be the easiest thing to do. That's why these are rare. It's hard to do this. So first of all, I apply God's principles when I realize it's going to protect me from self-inflicted problems. Number two, it provides a plan and a purpose for making the right decisions. Look at verse number 10. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion, there's that word we talked about earlier, discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. It's insight and ability coupled with discretion, which remember we talked about was the word that means to have a plan or a purpose. In other words, discretion, the right kind, says I, my plan or my purpose is to do the right thing. I want to do what's right. It may not be the easiest thing to do. It may not be initially what I think will be the most beneficial to me. But it's the right thing to do. That's discretion. My decisions are based upon my purpose. And my purpose is to do the right thing. That's why the Bible says here that you will know in verse 9 that you will know what's right and just and fair. If I get wisdom and knowledge, I will know what's right. Therefore, my decisions will be based upon what's right. That's what it means to apply God's principles to my life. 
Well, if I don't know God's principles, which begins with step number one, I've got to know God's Word. Well, here's a decision I've got to make. How do I know what's right? Well, first of all, I need to know what God says. What would God do? You know, it's interesting. Years ago, they started this fad where everybody wore these little braces. What would Jesus do? It's too bad the fad wore off. Everybody still wears the bracelets, but the purpose for them is just kind of faded. What would Jesus do? Let me tell you. One thing we need to be prepared for. Whatever Jesus would do is usually going to be the hard way. Because it's not the world's way. It's usually different from what the normal average person would do. So that's why it's difficult. Okay? So, if I apply God's principles, I know it's protecting me from self-inflicted problems. Number two, it will provide a plan and a purpose to help me make right decisions. Now, there are two things. We're not going to look at them in depth. But there are two things that it helps me make the right decisions about when I am in these two situations. And these two situations begin in chapter 2 and verse 12, go all the way down through verse number 19. <coughs> and they are, number one, when I am influenced by other people who aren't doing the right thing. The Bible says in verse 10 that it enters your heart. It helps us with discretion. Look at verse 12. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse. That's called peer pressure. When everybody else is doing the wrong thing, applying God's principles to my life, with discipline will help me not to do the wrong thing even when everybody else is doing it. That becomes a pillar to your home. Guys or ladies, you go off for work to a convention. Guys, all the other guys are away from their wife. They're all shooting down booze and flirting with all the little single girls that work for the company. You are flirting with disaster. You know what's going to keep you from doing that? This. I know what God says. I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't do it. I've studied God's Word. I want to apply God's principles to my life because I'm trying to protect myself from a self-inflicted problem because I know that if I do what is right, that is my purpose and it will protect my family. And the same thing's true, ladies, on your side. I mean, we can all be tempted with it. So, number one, it helps us when we're tempted by other people. Number two, it helps us when we're tempted by our flesh. We talked a little bit about this last week. In verse 16, it starts talking about the adulterous person who comes and tempts us. That's our flesh. We've all got desires inside of us that our sinful nature has. And they are usually desires that aren't good. The problem is, and we, we've talked about it, we have to battle those desires every day. That's why you can't live by the philosophy, if it feels good, do it. Because just because it feels good doesn't mean it's right. Because I have a sinful nature that a lot of things feel good to, but it's not right. So applying God's principles to my life with a purpose for doing what's right protects my home. And then finally, number three, it points us to community of like-minded people that will help support us. By the way, this is so important. You know, it, it, it's always interesting to me that whenever we discuss the power of peer pressure, usually the first thing that's talked about is the power of negative peer pressure. Do you know there is a power also of positive peer pressure? 
Jesus taught it. Do you remember when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and 3,000 people got saved and baptized? What was the first thing they did? The Bible says that they continued in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. They were all together. They had all things in common. And they, from house to house, ate their bread with gladness and singleness of heart. What did they do? They created community. Do you know what the local church is? It's community. It is a community of believers that are here, for among other things, to encourage one another. Look at Proverbs chapter 2, verse number 20. Thus, if I allow the Word of God and His principles to protect me from peer pressure and my flesh, thus you will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. That means that in my heart, those are the kind of people I want to hang out with. Those are the kind of people I want to be my encouragers. Those are the kinds of people that I value and I look up to and are my mentors. It doesn't mean that we don't love and like other people and hang out with them. We can't reach them if we don't love them. But these are the people where I get my direction and encouragement for the way I live. You know, when I first, and we'll, we'll close with this, when I first, for the very first time, drank a beer, I was 11 years old. 11 years old. I lived in Nashville. I was with a group of my buddies. They had this six-pack of Paps Blue Ribbon beer. And they were all, and by the way, it was like 1 o'clock in the morning. We had snuck out and... We, we obviously were not sitting at home in the living room with mom and dad. And, and we, were, we were out, I'll never forget it, we were out on a street corner underneath a street light at 1 o'clock in the morning. And there were three or four of us. And they were popping these out of the, the little, you know, plastic thing from the six-pack, and they handed me one. Well, I'd never done this before, but I didn't want them to know that. So they're all popping these beers open, and they all start chugging these beers. So I don't know, I better do this. I'm going to be called a chicken. So you know how I drank my first beer? I held my nose and drank it the best I could. About an hour later, after everybody thought I was cool, I was at home throwing up my guts because it tasted awful. Now, as I was knelt over the toilet throwing up my guts, do you know the thought that was running through my mind? I am so glad I'm cool. No, it wasn't. You know the thought that ran through my mind? It's the same thought that runs through everybody's mind who has ever done anything they know they shouldn't have done that hurt them. When it comes full circle and the pain starts, it's the same thought we all think. Why did I do that? Because I didn't exercise wisdom or understanding or knowledge that comes from God. My purpose was not to do what was right. My purpose was to be cool because of peer pressure. The three pillars of the home are wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. They come from God through the application of the principles of His Word that I have learned. You and I will never, 
ever complete that process in this life. It is a process that has to take place every day, constantly. And just when we think we've mastered it, we're going to realize our flesh is still there and we still got to work at it. We're going to make mistakes. Those things that you and I say, why did I do that? Guess what? You're probably going to end up saying it again sometime. Because we're human. It happens. But this is the process. This is the anchor we bring ourselves back to when we drift. This will bring us back to center and help us to get back on track. Because we're all going to get off track. But don't get off track and stay there. It's okay. God loves you. In our next hour, I'm actually doing a, a lesson in David's life called, How Do I Overcome Sin? When sin gets in my life and I think that I'm no good anymore and that I'm useless and I can never do right, well, how do you get back on track? How do you overcome that? Well, all we do is you just come back to this. God loves us. God knows that we, we're going to make stupid decisions. God knows we're going to be boneheads. God knows that. He loves us in spite of that. That's why He went to the cross for us. Okay? So don't ever get discouraged thinking, oh, my home's terrible, my life's awful. I just don't do that very good. It's okay. We're all there. Take what we learn, though, as our guide and work every day so we get better at it. Okay? So, how do I get these things in my life? I study God's Word and I apply His principles to my life. That gives me wisdom and understanding and knowledge, which are the pillars of our home. Father, thank You for Your Word. Forgive us for the times that we don't obey it like we're supposed to. Give us courage and strength so that we can get back up and do it better next time. Lord, thank You so much for loving us and being patient with us. Help us and give us all that hunger and thirst for righteousness, that desire to know the Scripture and the wisdom to apply it to our life. Give us a great week. Help us to make wise decisions this week. In Jesus' name. Amen.